Thanks be to God for his word. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts here tonight be acceptable in your sight. And may each of us be open to receive your word personally to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what your thoughts were as you heard Irving read that passage from the book of Matthew. If you've had any experience of Bible stories of Jesus and his healing ministry, this particular story of the paralyzed man is one that's often told and often illustrated. So did you recognize the story as it was being read? If you did, maybe you were thinking, hang on, hang on, there's a bit missing, isn't there? What about the whole drama of this paralyzed man's friends bringing him to Jesus with four of them carrying his mat? And when they get there, the house where Jesus is preaching and teaching is surrounded by a huge crowd and, and they can't get in. So they have an idea and they go up the side of the house and they bit by bit remove parts of the roof showering everybody underneath with bits of mud and dust. And then they lower the man down on his mat to land at Jesus's feet. Where was that bit of the story? And if you thought that and you wondered why was that bit missing, you'd be right. Because there is another version of this story and you find it in the book of Mark. And 25% of the story in the book of Mark covers this dramatic bringing of the man, the lowering through the roof saga. And this is the version that's most frequently used in children's Bibles or in TV dramas or films about Jesus because it is pure drama. And yet, here in the version we heard tonight, Matthew's version of the story, he the writer chooses to leave the drama out. Why? Well, it wasn't necessary for the point that the writer of Matthew wanted to make. It would have distracted from his central focus. And what was that central focus that the writer of Matthew wanted us to get drawn to? It was this, that the man Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, something only God can do. So without the whole lowering through the roof bit, we see two main interactions happening here in Matthew's version of the story. We have the interaction between Jesus and the paralyzed man, and we have the interaction between Jesus and the teachers of the Jewish law. So let's first Look at that interaction between Jesus and the teachers. Right at the beginning, in verse 2 of the reading, we hear Jesus say these words to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Now, that caused quite a stir in the hearts and the minds of the teachers of the law, for they well knew that only God could forgive sins. So this man, Jesus, in their hearing, was claiming to be divine. Blasphemy. 
And although they didn't say it out loud, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Now, at this point, I just need to take a little aside because it's important to know that in Jewish teaching and thinking at this particular time, any physical illness or impairment was assumed to have been caused by some sort of sin. Maybe in the person with the illness, or maybe somewhere down the family line. Physical infirmity equals the presence of sin. And so to challenge the teachers of the law and to show that he, Jesus, had the authority to forgive sins, he then told the man to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. And he did. This was the evidence needed, the assurance that at Jesus' words, the man's sins actually had been forgiven. No sin, no physical infirmity. The crowd were amazed that God could give a man such authority. Here in the passage, we hear Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man, declaring he was fully human. But what just happened, the authority that he showed that he could forgive sins, was now declaring himself also fully divine. So let's turn our interaction now to Jesus and the paralyzed man on the mat. The very first thing that Jesus says to him is, take heart, son. In his usual deep compassion and love for those who are suffering, Jesus' first words to him are encouragement and acceptance. In another translation, take heart is actually translated as be encouraged. And by calling the man's son, Jesus wasn't talking about a family relationship, but he was saying to him, you are accepted, you are included. Jesus is drawing the man's heart to himself, just as the friends brought his physical body to Jesus. And an expectation that something else might be going to happen would rise up in the man and rise up in his friends when they hear Jesus say, be encouraged, take heart. And what did follow actually was probably unexpected by those who were present. It's likely that this big crowd that we don't hear about in Matthew, but we hear about in Mark, had been drawn because people had heard about Jesus's physical healing miracles. They may have been curious, or maybe they too wanted physical healing. That's why the friends brought the man on the mat. But Jesus' first words to him after, be encouraged, wasn't get up, pick up your mat, and walk. It was, son, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus speaks, the timing of it and the words he uses are always very carefully chosen. We've already seen that these words, your sins are forgiven, and then the subsequent healing demonstrates to those present that Jesus actually did have divine authority to forgive sins. 
But there may be another reason why Jesus chose to say that first to the man on the mat. I'd like to suggest that actually what Jesus saw was that the man's most important need was for spiritual healing, even before his need for physical healing. This man needed to be set free from his sinfulness, as do we all. You know, sin is not often talked about in society today, but sin, which is simply going against God's will and God's way, is present in everyone and everywhere. And it separates us, doesn't it, from that holy, sinless God. And that's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross, to deal with the sins of the whole world once and for all. And of course, before Jesus, the only way to deal with the sins for the Jewish people were through rituals and sacrifices. And that had to keep on happening again and again, year on year. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that these sacrifices that happened every year didn't perfect anyone permanently. If it has, said the writer, the worshippers would have no longer felt guilty for their sins. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was once and for all, for all sin, for all time, for all people everywhere. His death and resurrection, we know, permanently dealt with the issue of sin and separation from God. So everyone's sin has already been forgiven before we existed, before we knew God. And when we realize that that forgiveness, that grace gift of forgiveness is there through the cross of Christ, we can come honestly to repent and receive absolute assurance that we have been forgiven. Just by putting our faith in who Jesus is and inviting him into our lives and then choosing to repent of the sinful things we've done in the past or thought in the past or that we do and think now. And when we truly repent, we can receive that assurance of forgiveness, a gift of grace. But my question to us tonight is, do we always have an absolute assurance when we repent before God that we've been forgiven? Do we always have that absolute assurance, that truth land in our hearts and our minds? The sin might have been from a long time in the past, maybe over a period of time, or it could be just something happened this week. We may have asked for God's forgiveness for things over and over and over again, or maybe just the once. Have we received that assurance that we know, that we know, that we know, that we've been forgiven? The Bible tells us that when we truly repent, God remembers our sin no more. The problem is that we do. 
through Jesus' one-time sacrifice, we should have that assurance. Like it says in Hebrews, we should no longer feel guilty for our sins after we brought them before God. But do we? Do we no longer feel guilty? You may have noticed there was a bit of chaos this, morning, this evening at the service. We forgot to get our microphones. And then, my fault, I updated the PowerPoint and wiped out all the notices, the slides for the notices. Now, I've just repented for that and said sorry to Sir and also up there. Do I have assurance that because I've said I'm sorry, I'm forgiven? If I came to you and said, look, I'm really sorry about the mess up with the microphones, am I forgiven? And you said, of course, Alison. Would I go home tonight and not think about it anymore? Or would I go home on the train tonight kicking myself and thinking, you really should have done better than that? And you know, there are times when we have asked for forgiveness. And yet, there are still niggles and doubts and maybe some quite strong feelings connected with the sin. Those regrets that we shouldn't have done that or we should have done this or we shouldn't have behaved or spoken in that way. We still mentally kick ourselves when those incidents come to mind. And the problem is, if that keeps happening, it just eats away at our peace those ongoing feelings of guilt and regret and if only. God promised us freedom from guilt and shame when we repent. And that's a testimony of so many people. But forgiveness is a gift that has to be received as well as asked for. I can remember many years ago, I was praying for a lady at a big Christian event called Spring Harvest. And she came for prayer. And she said that she had asked God to forgive her over and over for something significant that she'd done in the past. And she said, but I just don't feel forgiven. And as we prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to come and minister to her, and bring that assurance of forgiveness, I watched her face change. I watched peace come on her face. And she told me at the end that she felt like she'd been standing in a waterfall or a shower and had been completely cleansed. And she knew then that she had been forgiven. She had received that assurance. God probably forgave her the first time she asked, but she hadn't received the assurance that she'd been forgiven. I wonder for us here, are there things that we have asked God to forgive us for, and yet we don't quite feel forgiven? In my personal walk and in praying with others, there are things that I've found that can sometimes prevent us actually receiving that assurance and peace. Sometimes it's a sense that the promise is there. I know it's in the Bible, but I find it hard to apply it to myself. 
And yet through Jesus, the promise is for all who believe. Well, maybe sometimes I find there's a feeling that, yeah, but my sin is too big for it to be that easily forgiven. But this is grace, the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation with God to get back to that place of peace is a gift of grace. And it's for everyone who believes in Jesus and who truly repents. There's nothing we can do or say that is outside the scope of this grace gift of forgiveness. You know, we sing in that well-known hymn, To God Be the Glory, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment a pardon from Jesus receives. And maybe, and this might be you here tonight, the assurance is not there because we don't yet really know Jesus personally. We know about forgiveness. We haven't actually personally received the one who forgives. Now I have to say that sometimes full assurance doesn't come because there are other people involved in the sinful act, whatever it is that you're seeking forgiveness for. And part of receiving the fullness of assurance is you have to forgive them too. Now that's not easy. And for some of us, it's a long journey, bit by bit. But to receive the fullness of assurance and the fullness of peace, sometimes we have to forgive others. And finally, and this is one I find most often for myself, is that we haven't, just simply, haven't forgiven ourselves. Sometimes it's just little things. For example, last week, I said something to a group of people that was putting myself forward. It was a bit pride-filled. And a little later, the Holy Spirit kindly pointed that out to me, and I repented. However, I continued to kick myself for saying those things, and there was just this ongoing unsettled feeling inside of me. I shouldn't have said that. I really shouldn't have said that. What did they think of me? And I felt really uncomfortable when I thought about those words. So eventually I had to sit myself down with God and remind myself that I had repented. I had said sorry. And then I prayerfully said to myself, Alison, it's okay. You are forgiven. And at that moment, that assurance came. And when I thought about what I'd said, I no longer felt uncomfortable or kicked myself. I just had to forgive myself and let it go. Taking a moment with God to tell ourselves that we are forgiven, even saying to ourselves, Alison, I forgive you, can enable us to fully receive what was always ours anyway. We can receive that complete assurance as followers of Jesus that when we repent, we are forgiven. So why don't we do that? 
If we find ourselves kicking ourselves over past memories that we have repented of, why don't we repeatedly take those things and forgive ourselves for it and let it go and receive the full assurance that we do not have to carry the guilt and the shame and the regret? That spiritual healing can be life-transforming as it was for the man on the mat. And of course, he didn't just receive spiritual healing. He received physical healing. And today, as we continue and go through this healing service, both things are available this evening. Spiritual healing and physical healing. We can ask for both of those for Jesus. It might be that we get them immediately. It might be that they come gradually. It might be that actually we need the help of others as we're asking for spiritual healing, exactly as Joyce shared today. God uses the medical profession and uses prayer alongside the amazing gifts of technology and knowledge and wisdom that is in the medical services. And you know, sometimes our request for physical healing comes not in cure, but in this tremendous strength to get through. So we do need help sometimes to receive physical healing, just as we may need help to receive spiritual healing. Confessing our sins to friends, that sounds a bit iffy. Or hearing others pronounce forgiveness over us, as we hear quite often in church services. And being encouraged by our friends to just let go and forgive ourselves for those things that we keep feeling regret and guilt about. All of this is available today. And in a moment we'll have a time of prayer, then we have Holy Communion, and we have anointing with oil. And after the service, the prayer team are there to pray with you personally. So today, take the opportunity to leave this place more free in body, heart, mind, and spirit than when you walked in. All because, all because of God's own Son, Jesus the Christ, our living God. Amen.